Morning, 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 morning. Um, welcome to our service of worship today. Before we begin our service today, I just want to start off with a couple of uh, important announcements. This is a really busy time in the life of the church right now. There is a lot going on. I just want to highlight a couple of the upcoming initiatives that we have been praying for and looking forward to. So as you know, on, what is it, Tuesday night, the 31st, people will be handing out candy on this night they call Halloween. Well, we are encouraging you to grab one of these wonderful signs. It says, light in the night. It's got a hashtag, Jesus is the light of the world. Uh, Put this on your lawn and turn on the light on your front uh, porch and pass out. We have uh, provided for you tracts, so little message of the gospel uh, to give out with whatever treat that you are handing out on Halloween night. Uh, just This was uh, a wonderful initiative brought to us by, by our dear friends, the Padfields. We are really excited about this. There's about, I think, 30 signs or so, uh, so plenty for 30 people. Uh, but also we've got tracks that you can pick up. That'll be all in the gymnasium at the information center following the service. Really excited about this. If you if we run out of signs, you can still shine the light of Christ uh, by, by sharing, just opening up your home, uh, sharing the light of Jesus, letting people know that, that God loves them on this night and that uh, we are followers of him. So please pray for this initiative. We also have Christmas child. This is a great, yes, every year we've been participating in this the last number of years. This is an opportunity to fill a shoebox. We send these overseas to children in need, to children who don't really open anything on Christmas morning. And in fact, we've heard amazing stories over the years of of those who have been blessed through this ministry. The idea is that you fill up a shoebox full of, uh, there's they are at the back. There's uh, instructions on the inside as to what to put in the shoebox. You designate the, the gifts for either a boy or a girl, and then you buy accordingly. Now, they do recommend you buy one wow item. So a wow item being something that fits in the box, but sort of a little more upper class level gift that the kids will be able to cherish and hug and hold. Um, bottom line is two weeks, okay? So we have lots of boxes, so we can, if you want more than one for your family, you can take those. Uh, we'll have Jennifer and Cherub are kind of overseeing the shoebox initiative here, so you can speak to them if you have any questions, but there's plenty of shoeboxes out in the back in the foyer today that you can pick up. Uh, they are due back here at the 12th of November, okay? That's two weeks, uh, but an amazing initiative. We can commit that to prayer as well. Every Wednesday for the last four, we've been running Christianity Explored. This is a a gospel uh, of Mark course that we're using as an evangelism outreach uh, to allow the gospel to preach the gospel. And that's what we've been doing. We've been really encouraged through uh, the response so far, and we are halfway through. If you are interested in joining, even though we've already covered three sessions, it's not too late. You can join us. We would love to have you, but please continue to commit Christianity Explored to the Lord in prayer. On the 18th of November, Jingle Mingle. You've heard about this. It's uh, for, for our ladies, ages 10 and up. 
It's going to be a wonderful night of desserts and singing and worship and coffee and um, books. There's going to be a book sale. Uh, really excited about that. You're going to hear a much better presentation than I'm giving you in a couple weeks' time. Uh, more information on the way, but uh, another thing just to mark on your... Ca- oh, look at that. Thank you. Save the date. Jingle mingle. November 18th. All right. That's a lot of things. Uh, if you are visiting with us, welcome. There are cards in the pews in front of you, uh, visitor cards. We would love for you if you just uh, could take a few minutes to fill that out. Uh, love to, to know of your visit with us and how we can be praying for you, get to know you a little bit better. Uh, but uh, thank you for joining us today. We look forward to what God has in store. So I'll turn things over to our worship team. Well, good morning, church. Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. Um, I don't know how many of you use the Bible app, but the, uh, the verse of today uh, was Psalm 24, uh, verse 8. It says, Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord invincible in battle. And um, I know maybe this week, maybe uh, you're looking at the world, or maybe you're looking at uh, things happening locally, or maybe in our own uh, you know, jobs or, or schools or homes, and, and sometimes it does feel like we're fighting a battle, and we just, um, we really are, are so glad that, that God is mighty, and that he is able to save us, and he is able to sustain us through things that are hard. Um, so as we prepare today, uh, I'm going to pray for us, um, so please join with me as we pray. Father God, we thank you, uh, Lord, for today and the gift that it is, and um, God, we just thank you that you are um, you're all present, God. You're all knowing that, God, there's nothing that happens that surprises you or, or takes you off guard. And, Lord, we just um, thank you that in the midst of it all, um, that, God, you are faithful and that you are just and that, God, we just know that you are love. And, um, God, we just uh, we know that this week uh, there's probably been things that we've said or did, did that, that, God, weren't showing your love. And we just pray God, that you'd help us, that, God, you'd, you'd pick us up from where we are. Um, God, no matter how low, that you, you, never, you never fail. And that, God, it doesn't matter how far away we are from you. God, we just need to turn. God, we just need to believe. And, and we pray that you help us to do that today. God, we thank you, um, God, for, for this time and this place where we can come together as your people. Um, God, to, to thank you for all that you, you have done in, your, in our lives, that, God, we can just... Also look forward to, God, all the things that you are doing in our lives. And, um, God, we just pray that you would help us to join together today. Not just people warming pews, uh, but, God, to be your church, uh, living and active here at Stanley Park in Kitchener, but, God, also to the ends of the earth. And we just thank you for all these things. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, we'll ask if you are able uh, to please stand with us as we sing. Yeah. 
Shit. 
This time I'm going to do two things. I'm going to um, pray for our kids as we send them off to their class. And I'm going to uh, dedicate our offering to the Lord. So will you please join with me again as we pray? Father God, we thank you for the amazing gift of these kids. And Lord, we know, um, God, in their lives that they're facing so many things that we didn't uh, when we were kids. God, there's um, just a lot of things that are trying to distract them and um, (laughs) hurt them. And God, just um, tell them that you're not there. But God, we thank you that you are there and that you are real. And God, we pray that today they would know that beyond a shadow of a doubt that, God, you are with them and beside them, even through the hard things and even through the good things, that, God, you are there. So, God, for their leaders, we just pray that you give them wisdom and and patience and peace as they lead. And, and God, help their hearts and minds just to be ready for the message you have in store for them today. And, too, Lord, we want to commit this offering to you God, whether it feels like much or feels like little, um, God, help us to give faithfully. Help us just to give um, just in, in secret so that we can know that we are doing things for your will and not for our own glory. Um, God, help us to give um, an eager anticipation of, of what you will do here. So, God, as we, we take this offering, um, God, may you, you take it and use it and multiply it for your kingdom here on earth. And we thank you, Lord, for all these things. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, kids, head on out. I think your leaders are at the back to see you. Great job today.
Let's join our hearts together in prayer. Our gracious God, how can it be that that you would love us, Father? We thank you for your amazing love, so rich and pure. Father, we thank you that you proved your love for us by sending your one and only Son, Jesus that while we were still sinners, Jesus Christ, your perfect, spotless, righteous son, he died for us. He shed his blood to cover over all of our sin. We thank you for your amazing love, Father. Dear Lord, we come before you and God, We know what your word says. You are the only one worthy of our praise, worthy of our worship. And we are to worship you with reverence and awe. And Father, in this world that mocks you, that so often debases your name and forgets you as its creator and savior, We gather here in this place today, on your day, Lord, to acknowledge and praise you as our God, our creator, our savior, and our Lord. And yet, who are we? God, who who are we to even speak to you? Who are we to be able to come into your presence? Who are we to call upon the name of the Lord God Most High? We are small and sinful and full of pride and presumption. We who think this world revolves around us so much of the time that it centers on our desires, on our needs, on our wills being done. Lord God, if the perfect angels bow in fear and reverence in your very presence, we who are imperfect, earthbound, and of the flesh should cover our mouths should hold our tongues and not to guard our hearts until we come to know you, to accept you, and to acknowledge you as holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. So if you answer only one of our petitions, Lord, answer this one. Humble us. Humble us, Lord. Make us this day to tremble under this incredible privilege of prayer, under this privilege of coming into your presence through Jesus Christ. We take you too lightly, Lord. We, we call you Father, and yet so often we do not think or act like sons and daughters. We wander from your commands. We trample on your decrees. We say yes with our lips, but no with our lives. We need your forgiveness. We need your grace. So give us your grace. Grant us this forgiveness. Hide us now. Hide us in the shadow of Christ's wings. 
Wash us clean in the blood of your perfect son. Touch our lips with your burning coals, and we, like Isaiah, will be healed. Healed so that we might speak and serve you. Fill these empty vessels, O Lord, with your Holy Spirit, so that we might be holy as you are holy so that we might strive to live a life that is pleasing to you, a life that considers others better than ourselves, a life that works to advance your kingdom here on earth, a life that seeks the welfare of the poor, the orphans, and the widows of this world. We, your prodigal sons and daughters, ask now to take us and make us pleasing children of you our Father of heavenly lights. And Lord, as we consider what we should be and ask that you would make us that, we also ask that you would come to us today and have your hand upon those who are in need. Father God, I pray for healing for this world. Lord, we we pray today for Israel and Gaza over those people on both sides of this terrible conflict. Most of all, we pray for an end to this war and that you would draw people to the only true source of peace that is Jesus Christ. Father, we pray for those who need healing in their bodies today. Lord, touch those who need healing in their minds, in relationships. Lord, we pray for healing in marriages today. Touch those who need healing in their homes, Lord. Healing with their children. Healing with their parents. Or healing with their siblings. Touch those who need healing at work with their employers or their employees, I pray. Touch those who need healing right here in this church our brothers and sisters in Christ, Lord, who are hurting, who are suffering, those we are called to love and be at peace with, we pray for them today, Father God. Lord, for these and more, we ask of your provision through the only name that gains acceptance before your throne of grace, the name of Jesus Christ, your Son and our Savior and our only mediator. And now, Lord, as we come to your word, I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts, that you would lead us into the truth of your word by your spirit, and that you would speak mightily through your servant, Pastor Paul, today. Father God, we thank you for the word that you have laid upon his heart. May we be quick, not just to hear it, but to do what it says. And it's all for your glory, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Before Pastor Paul comes up today to preach the word, I'm going to invite a chair of our deacon's board, Dr. Kevin Platt. How many of you know that October is Pastor Appreciation Month? (laughs) Not very many of you. Well, in a sense, every month is Pastor Appreciation Month, uh, and uh, we do appreciate our pastors year-round. 
Um, but October is a time where we uh, like to uh, just take a moment to express that uh, in a more direct way. So um, uh, in a moment, I'm going to ask uh, Pastor Gary and Pastor Paul and Pastor Peter, uh, if they're here, uh, to come on up uh, so that we can give them a token of our appreciation. But uh, just a few words. So uh, we see our pastors on Sundays. We see uh, the uh, things that they're doing, uh, preaching the word, praying, leading services. Um, and of course, many of us also see uh, what they're doing in three-week ministries, uh, in youth, in Christianity Explored, uh, in uh, our Wednesday uh, prayer and Bible study. Uh, and then, of course, uh, many of us know that that's just the tip of the iceberg. And in fact, it is the tip of the iceberg. Uh, we're so grateful uh, to Pastor Gary and to Pastor Paul and to Pastor Peter for uh, the way that they pour themselves out in the work of the Lord uh, day in and day out in, in prayer, in study, in visiting with those who are sick or in distress. Um, and we're very grateful for that. And so uh, my encouragement to all of us is that we continue to remember them in prayer. I know many of us uh, pray regularly for them. Uh, and if you haven't been doing that, uh, consider this an invitation to start doing that. We want to uphold them in prayer and uh, find a moment to say thank you uh, to them as well. So I'll ask them to come up uh, so we can... Uh, Shake their hands, and uh, we've got cards here prepared for them. And, uh, oh, there's Peter, good. Make sure I give you the right one. All right, thank you, brother. if I should say wow or not, but that's a blast from the past for sure, if there ever is one. And that one goes well back into my youth. And uh, my wife said when I told her that I wanted to start with that this morning, she said, oh, you're going to date yourself. <laughs> Just for the record, two months after that song was released, I turned 12. A month later, I would give my heart to the Lord. So, I do remember that era. It's an era of uh, Jesus people, hippies, of, uh, the, of songs like this, where, which were being written as anti-war songs. And the world, it was a mess, you know. Back in the 60s, I thought it was falling apart. People were starting to come to church in blue jeans, other things were happening. There was all this kind of chorus music. I wanted to sing the hymns, you know? And it was all these things that were happening in the church at that time and in the world, and I thought it was all ending, you know, it was coming fast. But at the same time that this song became the number one hit song here in Canada that year. And music by Burt Bacharach, words by Hal David, sung by Jackie DeShannon there that we just heard for a moment. 
The song's success caught the two songwriters completely by surprise. After all, they were just writing another song amongst the many that were being written at the time, and they were all in response to the controversy, disagreements about the Vietnam War. Interestingly, Burt Bacharach would continue to use that song as the intro and finale for almost all of his live concerts right up into the 2000s. Well, when I think of those words, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. I don't know about you, but as a Christ follower, those words mean a lot to me. The opening of that song continues to describe the world that we live in today. A world that needs love, that, but a love that is very different than what these guys had behind the idea of the song they produced here that we can uh, identify with. It's the kind of love that Pastor Gary was mentioning last week at the end of his sermon when he quoted 1 John 3. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. What kind of love is that? What kind of a love is it that God has given us that is so special? Well, it's certainly not the spur of the moment or out of the blue emotion of love that wells up because something nice has happened or, or something good is going on. Nor is it the kind of love that is dependent upon the response by the one to whom it is being given. And even though it might involve a nice, warm, fuzzy feeling, that's not what it is. No. God's love, God is love. So God's love reveals the very nature of God himself. God is infinite. So guess what? His love should have absolutely no boundaries. It too should be infinite. God is full of grace and mercy. That's exactly what his love should be full of. God is eternal. So is his love. God's love is a reflection of who God is. And that reflection reveals a God to me who is infinitely patient and kind. Boy, he's put up a lot with me. A God who is completely without envy, boasting or pride. A God who's never rude, never self-centered or easily angered. A God who keeps no record of wrongs, that's right. He separates our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. Keeps no record of wrong. Even as it is a love that is extremely zealous to protect his own people. To trust his children. To hope unswervingly. And to persevere to the very end. And that, my friend, is the kind of love that God has lavished upon us upon you and you and you and me, unlimited, amazing, free, and best of all, we can never exhaust it. It will never be all used up. 
Back in 1965, that's the kind of love the world desperately needed then. And guess what? It's absolutely no different today in 2023. It's the very same kind of love that is still desperately needed. And if this world is ever going to find it or experience it or taste it, it will be because of people like you and me. Just like you and me. Living that kind of love in the midst of the world that needs it. So yes, this is the kind of love the world desperately needed back in 65, still needs it today. And if this world is going to find it or experiencing this astonishing love of God, then it's going to taste it through ordinary people like you and me. So of all of the amazing spiritual gifts that God gives us through his Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul identifies the gift of love as the absolute supreme and greatest gift of all. Now, if you remember back, you probably don't, but back in August when I spoke, we, we talked about faith. And then in September when I spoke, we talked about hope. Faith, hope, love. You're going to hear that again today. Because Paul says the greatest of these is love. This morning I want to take time, the time we have left, and I want to look at that passage of Scripture and just simply unpack it a little bit like a verse by verse, line by line. And I want to look at that passage that is most often referred to as the love chapter of the Bible. And I want us to try to see that, see what God is telling us through that in that we need to be a people who live that kind of love every day. So if you're able to, I would invite you to stand with me this morning as to in honor of the reading of God's word and in honor of the word of God, and we would read together this beautiful chapter, the love chapter, 1 Corinthians, beginning at 1231b. Here now, receive the word of our God. And now I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, 
and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. The reading of God's word. Would you bow with me in prayer? Our loving Heavenly Father, through your Son, Jesus, not only have you told us, but you have shown us, given us a living example of the kind of love that you love us with. Now teach us through your word the kind of love that you ask for us to have, that others might hear you declaring your love in their hearts. Bring our every thought captive to obeying Christ as we hear your word, to the glory of his holy name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, the church in Corinth, that's where this all took place. This passage was written to the Corinthians. The church in Corinth itself was a rather weak church. It was in a city that, where they were surrounded by idolatry and immorality. The, the uh, believers, they struggled with their Christian faith and with their lifestyle. And the Apostle Paul, who was really Pastor Paul to them, right? Well, he tried to help them. He taught them the truths of the faith. He worked endlessly to, to resolve the conflicts. He addressed whatever issues surfaced, personally visiting the church, writing letters to them, dealing with the specific moral issues within the church, answering many questions about the practical things of sex, marriage, the church, the way they lived. In what we call his first letter, uh, 1 Corinthians 11.3 through 14.39. Uh, In that section, Paul writes a section that is specifically written to the uh, Corinthians about public worship and about how they should be practicing it as a church. And specifically by explaining the role of women and then addressing the Lord's Supper and dealing with the matter of uh, spiritual gifts. And there... Right in the middle, sandwiched between these matters, the Apostle Paul writes what, ha what has to be the most magnificent piece of prose he ever wrote. We call it the love chapter. A beautiful description of the greatest gift of all, the gift of love. God's gift to us. Paul writes this piece on the gift of love because the Corinthians were struggling with the whole issue of spiritual gifts. The showy, the, 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 they desired the more prominent gifts. After all, they want the biggest, the best, the flashiest, right? So they looked for things like, like uh, um, talking and speaking in tongues and, and finding the, the, having the ability to do miracles. And, and, and they wanted the attention-grabbing things, not the things that necessarily just happen, you know? So Paul counters their ambition, and he begins his chapter or his passage with that, those words, and now I will show you the most excellent way. There's definitely a better way than what you're thinking about as a church or the way that you as people practice your, your Christian faith. 
In fact, it's the best way of all. It's the way of love. It's the way that God gives us. And again, just so that we get this into our minds and hearts, you can remain seated, but I'd like you to read it with me again as we look at the first three verses. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains and have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Now we know from Paul's introductory remarks to this letter, I'm going to find my spot here again. We know from his introductory remarks back in chapter 1 that the Corinthian church not only knew what spiritual gifts were, they knew about them. In fact, they were very present in the church, and many of the members were actively seeking after having them. As I mentioned, they, they were after the big flashy ones, the things that would draw attention to them. We also know that, generally speaking, the church itself was holding on to the right doctrine. Earlier in the letter, back in chapter 7, Paul states that they were still adhering to his earlier teachings. But Paul knew that this was a church in trouble. And he was concerned with the many issues that were appearing in the way that the people lived their lives especially amongst themselves and together as the body or as the church. People were quarreling with each other. Some were openly, outrightly being selfish. They were being self-centered. And their self-centeredness was giving way to, to issues of pride. And all of these issues were notably most visible in the area of spiritual gifts. Again, I've stated earlier why, because many of the believers who were seeking spiritual gifts desired the showy ones. They, were, they wanted the, grabbing, the, the attention-grabbing gifts. You know, if you spoke in tongues, somebody stood up here in the sanctuary day and spoke in tongues, everybody would notice, wouldn't they? We'd all notice it whether we liked it or not. If we performed miracles and healed somebody, well, that's going to attract attention. And even if you get up here and speak, well, man, I've got your attention, don't I? I hope, maybe, okay. We'll debate that one, okay? But that's what they were after. They wanted the showier um, things. So, so uh, Paul just jumps right in when he's going to write this passage, and he hits the issue head on. He says, if I speak in, in the tongues of men and of angels... But if I have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Does anybody like the sound of a resounding gong? Bong. Or the cymbals, you know, just out of the blue. When someone spoke in tongues, it was noticed by everyone present. So for the attention-seeking Corinthians, this was the most prized of the spiritual gifts. So Paul addresses that issue first. He refers to the tongues of men and of angels. Now here Paul was speaking both literally and hypothetically. 
literally in that Paul believed in the gift of tongues and will later declare that he himself even spoke in tongues. Hypothetically, because there is no evidence anywhere in all of Scripture that Paul believed that it was even possible to speak the the tongues of angels, and nowhere else in the Bible that does it provide any such possibility. Nevertheless, Paul's saying, well, even if such a thing were possible, without love, without love, what would it be? It'd be noise. That's all it would be. Plain old ordinary noise. Without love, it would be meaningless clamor. Without love, it was nothing. And this would have shocked many of those people in the Corinthian church because those who were exalting themselves because of this particular gift, that's what they were looking for. Paul goes on. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. The gift of prophecy was another spiritual gift, and it too was highly esteemed by the people who listened and by the person who was prophesying. It would also have been a highly desired gift, And it was vital for the health and the growth of the church. The gift of prophecy was much like having the gift of preaching, for it was the means that brought God's truth to the people. But again, this gift, even in its most most extreme form, with the ability for the gift holder to fathom all mysteries and, and all knowledge which in itself is not possible since God is the only one who is omniscient. Only God knows everything. And if that weren't even enough, Paul adds, and if I had a faith that would move mountains, no, Paul is not talking about a saving faith here. He's talking about a faith of a person must have in order to perform miracles, to move mountains, to heal the sick. To the faith of miracles is what he's talking about here. Even if I had that kind of faith, even the most extraordinary gift like prophecy, but without love, it's all vain. It's worthless. It doesn't mean anything. He goes on. If I give all I possess to the poor... And surrender my body to the flames. But have not love, I gain nothing. Another issue the Corinthian church was dealing with was the disparity between the rich and the poor, which was especially noticeable at the Lord's table. And then Paul was not a wealthy man himself, yet he imagines giving everything he has away everything to the poor, showing his willingness to give sacrificially, yet again going to the extreme, not only by my wealth, but also if I surrender my body to the flames. Now, just a note, though, the practice of burning Christians at the stake yet had not begun. Perhaps this is a little bit of foreshadowing, I don't know. Perhaps Paul stated that he would take everything he had, including his very life, And if it was all done without love, he gained nothing. It was all meaningless. And for not, 
it was nothing. Paul used the very issues that the church was struggling with in Corinth in these opening verses, most likely to draw his readers into the discussion on love with things that were, that were easy to relate to. Paul moves on and he tells us both what love is what, and what love is not. He'll tell us what love does and he'll tell us what love does not do. For there is a better way. And here it is. Again, let's just stay seated, but would you read with me? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Love never fails. Because a Christ-like, Father-God-like love is so important amongst believers because it was so very important to the unity of the church in Corinth, and it continues to be the greatest element in the unity and fellowship of a church today, the church universal around the world, but also the local body churches, churches just like Stanley Park Baptist, Paul gives us word pictures to tell us about the most excellent way of love. And through all the phrases given, an absolutely gorgeous masterpiece of love emerges from these lines. A love clearly modeled on the love of God, on the one who loves us like no other. I love to dabble around with watercolors. I'm not very good. But I do like to get a brush in hand and see what comes out on paper. And in a sense, sometimes the most beautiful things begin to emerge as you bring, uh, bring a number of colors together and things on a paper. And that's what happens in this passage. I hope you catch a little bit of it as we go through this, because we're going to walk through it line by line. First off, love is patient. Oh. Picture the patience that God has had with you. When I think of the patience he's had with me, and with some of the most stubborn people around this world throughout the centuries, God's gift to his people is a love that portrays his extreme patience with us. God is exceedingly patient. So it's no surprise that God desires his children to be patient. That's right. Patience. You don't park it at the door. It carries out in the way you live your life, in your love. Long-suffering, slow to anger, bearing annoyances. That's a little hard. Bearing annoyances, inconveniences. And just as God doesn't complain, neither does love, right? Love is patient. But love is also kind. 
Now, kindness is closely connected with patience. Patience takes a bit more of a temporal role, though. Kindness refers more to the manner in which a person treats another person. Generally, kindness is most often soft and gentle. But it can also be firm. And sometimes it even takes on the form of a careful, carefully worded, thought-through rebuke. But only, only if it's designed to bring good out of a bad situation. Paul demonstrated this as he dealt kindly but firmly with the Corinthians. Is patience a part of your love? Would patience describe the kind of love you show to other people? Paul goes on, love does not envy. It is not jealous. Jealousy and envy begin when admiration and desire turn to resentment of others for what they have. And this seems to have been a particular problem in the Corinthian church. Those with lesser gifts envied those with the greater gifts. The seeds of envy and jealousy can lead to seething, smoldering, anger, and hatredness. Both envy and jealousy are the attributes that have led to many terrible actions in the world and have absolutely no place amongst God's people. If you're thinking you've got envy in your life, you've got, you're jealous about something, deal with it. Get rid of it. Love does not boast. Love is not proud. This seems to be a particular issue in Corinth where gifted people are caught up in pride and, and boasting over their particular gifts, using those gifts as if they were doing someone a favor so that others would be grateful to them, and because of their giftedness, they were far superior. Love does not boast about one's abilities. Love is not proudly showing off the accomplishments of one's giftedness. And love is not rude. Love does not tolerate actions that are improper, impolite, discourteous, or rude. Love does not humiliate other people. Again, this seems to have been a problem in the church in Corinth, especially in their worship. Love is not self-seeking. Love looks out for the interests, the best interests of others, not of self. Willingly giving up its own way for the sake of another. Love is always about putting someone else ahead of yourself. Not being concerned where you fit in the pecking order. Love is not easily angered. And again, reflecting that earlier quality of patience, the love Paul is describing is a kind of love that does not normally become irritated and angry whenever others do wrong. Rather, this is the kind of love that is slow to anger, extremely patient. Love keeps no record of wrongs. People who love others do not keep meticulous records of offenses made by others, do they? Instead, they offer forgiveness, and they offer forgiveness time and time again. I know some who offer forgiveness when they don't even have to offer forgiveness, but you offer forgiveness. Just as both Jesus and Stephen demonstrated this type of love by forgiving the very people who put them to death. 
Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Those who truly love do not rejoice at seeing loved ones stumble into evil. They rejoice when those loved ones try to live according to the truth of the gospel. Sin destroys lives. So to rejoice in their sin is to rejoice in their destruction. But to rejoice with the truth is to build up a life. And love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And it never fails. Having explained the many things that love does not do, Paul now moves to a list on the positive side, the attributes of love. Four, four, no, actually five here, things that love always does. It always protects. Now that word translated as protects can mean to uh, endure. It can mean to cover over. It can mean to put arms around and protect somebody. If Paul had, it had in mind the concept of endurance, he meant that love bears with many offenses and does not stop loving under the strain of difficulties imposed by other people. Or if he had in mind the concept of covering, then he may have meant that love will not seek to expose the sin of others. Instead, love will handle the sins of others in the ways that will not bring exposure or shame, but offer protection. Why? Next one, it always protects. It always trusts. Where love gives the benefit of the doubt. When believers love one another, they refuse to listen to the harmful gossip about, that, about people that are being, that's being told while protecting one another from those very from those who would inflict them love gives the benefit of the doubt when there is a doubt and yet when there is no doubt it does not give a benefit but if there is a doubt love will give the benefit love it always protects always trusts always hopes it never loses faith it always willingly to, willing to think the best of other people. It does not mean that we have to be gullible, trusting everyone. No, it doesn't mean that we don't question certain things. It means that we are willing to think that the, that the best as opposed to the worst is what we attribute to a situation or the person. Love gives the benefit of the doubt. Hope is the attitude that eventually good will come to those who may be failing now. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And that's where the real rubber hits the road. Loving someone is easy when circumstances are good, even tolerable. But when circumstances and trials and situations become tough in life, Love holds on regardless of the situation that people are going through. Hardship and pain do not stop a person from loving. Love hangs on when the going gets tough. Protects, trusts, hopes, always persevere, and it never 
fails. Love will never be obsolete. Love, love will always have a place. And those who devote themselves to Christian love involve themselves in something that is beyond the ordinary. In fact, they're participating in the very grace of God. The Apostle, Paul, the Apostle John wrote that God is love. Whatever does not, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. As followers of Christ, believers receive the grace of God to express this divine love in human form. And this same love that believers express in, the, in this life will extend into eternity. Even after Jesus returns, we will continue to share in the love that God has for those who belong to him through, Je through Jesus Christ. This is why Paul exalted love to such a special and high place. The experience of Christian love, as Paul defined it throughout this chapter, is one of the few ways that we can now have a little taste of what waits for us in eternity. But Paul also writes, where there, where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will all pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but completeness comes. What is in part disappears. Prophecies, tongues, knowledge, all these things, even the choruses we sing and, and the things we do as a church and as a body, they will all pass away. They will not carry over into eternity at all. Prophecies will cease. Tongues will be stilled. Knowledge will pass away. These are temporary gifts, even though they're gifts of the Spirit. And of all the gifts, love will go on into eternity, which is why Paul concludes by saying, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Faith will be gone, because faith now is what carries us on into the future. We will be able to see what we now only can see through faith. Hope will be gone. We will be realized. We will be living in the hope that is ours. For in eternity with God is our hope. But then there's love. And love will go on throughout eternity. It will carry on into the new life that we live with our God. That's why Paul says that the greatest of all the spiritual gifts realized, while faith, hope, and love stand above all the other spiritual gifts, the greatest of these is love. That's why that song, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. There's a measure of truth to that, but not the kind of love they were thinking of. What the world needs now are for Christ's followers, people like you, people like me, for the church of Jesus Christ, locally and universally, to live love, the kind of love that Paul was speaking of. To take those elements you heard that we just walked through, all of those different ways of showing love, and to implement them 
into our lives. To live love. The kind of love Paul speaks of. That's what the world needs to see. It needs to taste and it needs to hear. And it needs to come from the experience of Christ's followers. So today, just take a moment. Sit back. Ask God to show you what he thinks of your love. Ask him to show you what your love looks like to him and to the others of the world. How does it compare to the love that Paul speaks of here? My friend, you and I as believers in Jesus Christ are a part of the church of Jesus Christ universally. And if we truly want to reach people for Christ, then we must be a people of love. So again, I'll just ask you, what does your love look like? May we pray. Lord Jesus, there has never been anyone who has loved us so deeply, so perfectly, so utterly as you have. You, O oh Lord, are the model and the mentor of the lives that we live. Your love was tender at times, tough at other times, but always just what was needed. Give us the eyes to see that your life of love is to be our goal in living out our lives here on earth. Give us eyes to see others as you see them and love them with the same kind of love that you have loved us with. Help us to see that of all things we have in this life, the greatest of these now and for all eternity is love. Amen. And as we uh, respond, we'll ask you to stand if you're able with us as we sing, uh, they'll know we are Christians by our love.
like to send you out with these verses from 1 John. 1 John 4. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And this has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Amen. <laughs>